we get a lot of recommendations on topics for Unspookable via email, Spotify, Apple Podcast reviews, and on social media. While most of these are appropriate for all audiences, we occasionally feature media that is specifically labeled eight years and up, and our coverage should never be seen as an endorsement or a recommendation from our team. Today, we are touching upon some of the most listener-requested horror video games and their enduring appeal. If horror games are not your thing, we encourage you to skip this one. Maybe go back and find a new favorite episode and join us again soon. As always, thanks for listening. And now, on to the show. Soundsington Media! You're in an elevator. Cheerful music chimes in through an overhead speaker as you await an unknown destination. You feel the elevator slowing, stopping. This must be your floor. The doors slide open to reveal the wood-covered lobby of a hotel. There's a front desk, a luggage cart, but strangely, no people. This is unlike any bustling hotel lobby you've ever seen. You slowly start interacting with the objects around you, looking for anything that could give you a hint as to what this place is or what you're doing here. You see a key hanging behind the front desk and grab it. This may come in handy, you say to yourself while pocketing the key. Curious as to your purpose in this strange place and what adventures it may hold, You walk through the corridor until you stop in front of a large oak door with a padlock and an engraved plaque denoting that this is room number 001. You pull out the key, wondering if luck is on your side. You stick it in the lock and it works. You swing open the door and it reveals another long hallway with another door, this time marked 002. You open this door into a large room, and as you step in, you see a purple glowing glob of eyeballs levitating off the ground. And then everything goes black. You've quickly learned that these eyes don't like to be stared at. Does any of this sound familiar to you? If so, you may be familiar with doors or other similar video games across Roblox and beyond. First-person horror games like Doors, Five Nights at Freddy's, Poppy Playtime, or Hello Neighbor have become staples for middle graders all over the world. But what's their appeal? I'm Elise Parisian, and we'll talk about this and more on this episode of Unspookable. If you've listened to the show before, you know that we talk about the history and the science behind scary stories. Our team is very much interested in the why behind scares. But did you know that the what, meaning what topics we choose to cover on the show, often come from our listeners? When we started the show, trends like the Charlie Charlie Challenge or Bloody Mary were big topics of conversation. But as the show 
and our listenership grew, we saw an interesting trend in the topics being recommended. Older frights, like vampires, werewolves, and clowns, gave way to digital scares like The Backrooms, SCP, AI, or the video game Five Nights at Freddy's. In fact, video games specifically have become an enormous subject for the show, and it's no surprise why that is. Check out these statistics. Approximately 3.26 billion people worldwide play video games. In 2022, gamers in the United States spent $55.5 billion on gaming. In 2022, there were approximately 90 billion mobile game downloads from the various app stores. Wow. In short, video games are everywhere. And that's not just limited to our gaming consoles and mobile devices. There are game streamers across YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch who alone had approximately 8.36 million active streamers in January of 2024. Two of the largest movies of last year, Five Nights at Freddy's and the Super Mario Bros. movie, were adaptations of video games. So, video games are on our minds. A lot. And truth be told, if we were to cover every recommended game that listeners send to us, that would be the rest of the show. Forever. So, what are we going to do instead? We are going to focus on one of our most requested games, Poppy Playtime. But to do that, I'm going to need an expert. My name is Melissa Sarnowski. I'm a gaming writer for Screen Rant and Game Skinny, which means I research topics and report on kind of everything involving gaming. My favorite is horror, but not genre specific. So then I put together the information. It can be opinions, it can be reviews, it can be news, guides, anything that you can think of that is related to games. I probably have done it at some point. Poppy Playtime's a horror game and it's set at a Playtime Co. toy factory that has since been shut down at some point before we actually start the game. And we are a former employee of Playtime Co. So we're returning to work in a sense because we've received a letter from the factory that at this point is very abandoned and shut down. So that's, you know, a little bit strange. And it says that the employees who went missing while Playtime Co. was in operation are alive and trapped at this factory. So being, I guess, an outstanding co-worker, we decide to go to the abandoned factory by ourselves to see what's happening. Like, what happened to our co-workers? How are they still alive and why are they trapped here? And that starts with our first task of finding the most lifelike doll of her time, Poppy Playtime. And she is kept in a glass case Perhaps for a good reason. This is how Melissa explains the horror-slash-puzzle-based gameplay of Poppy Playtime. I would say it is puzzle-based. You do have to find your way through because this is an abandoned factory. Uh, the pathways that you may have used when it was in operation might not be together anymore. So you have to use what's called a grab pack 
which puts just two hands on your screen so you see like two palms. And they're like the little sticky hands that you throw on windows and like they hold on for a second. They have that kind of traction and you can stick them to like locations and pull yourself up. You can grab items that are far away with those and you're going to use that to navigate, solve problems. They conduct electricity once you get an upgrade for them. So then you use that to power pieces of equipment that no longer have power sources because again, this is an abandoned factory and upkeep hasn't been a priority. So while you're searching for clues as to what happened and solving puzzles, a few times you're going to end up in chase sequences, which is where one of the toy monsters is coming after you and you have to navigate the factory in a faster fashion versus when you're solving puzzles to outsmart or outrun these creatures. And then the final section of gameplay mechanics that we've seen so far, this game hasn't been completely released. It's being released in chapters. But then the last part that we have for gameplay mechanics, aside from like the puzzles and the hunting for notes and chase sequences is actually like you're doing mini games like that you would have done if you were part of the audience, like the kids who were staying for daycare the kids who were visiting, they had like memory games. So you play like Simon Says, you play, it's called Statues, but it's like red light, green light, where you stop and go. Um, so there's mini games within the game as well. And uh, they might not be the type of mini game you expect. They are a little bit broken. More after this. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah, the show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. We asked Melissa if she could explain the appeal of scary games for younger audiences and how middle graders were even discovering all of these games. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that like we've reached this point of horror gaming where there's a wider audience than ever before that this appeals to, for better or for worse. In some cases, it depends on the content, it depends on the audience to decide kind of what they can handle and what's okay for them. But I find that like the games offer layered experiences to the audience and it makes them more appealing to a wider range of audiences and age groups. And what I mean by the layered experiences is the way that you play the games and experience the content can be different from person to person. You have 
this ability to kind of decide how involved you are in the game. And so it can remove a lot of the fear from like the horror games, depending on how distant you are from actually doing it. Because you could play the game yourself, like you're on your own, kind of like what you would traditionally think of as playing the game, and you get kind of all the fear. But you could also go through it and not pay attention to the story at all. A lot of story elements for this type of game is hidden in like letters or like items that you find or like talking extra dialogue with NPCs. And so you could go through and just like do the puzzles, do the actual gameplay mechanics, like do the chase sequences. You're getting away from some of the unsettling content, which is going to be like deeper in the story. And then on the other hand, you could have someone who only pays attention to the story and never actually plays the game themselves, which is a different layer of experience. And you start like theory crafting about what happened in this game and how does everything like go together. And then I think that the biggest reason for the increase in appeal is YouTube. Because we have so many YouTubers who will play these horror games and their audience does tend to be on the younger side. So then you're watching someone else experience the horrors and it's not as frightening for yourself because you're not the one directly exposed to it. And these YouTubers usually try to make it more humorous. So they're going to go into it with more like lighthearted commentary and it's going to be more subdued compared to if you're like playing it by yourself and there's no one there to be like, oh, hey, that was, oh, that was silly. I'm fine. Like, I'm going to keep going because I'm brave. Like, a lot of YouTubers will do. And I know like offhand Markiplier has played almost all of these games, I'm pretty sure. And he has such a big audience and I know it does appeal to a younger age group. And that audience size alone really spreads these games. Like so many more people are going to be exposed to them when they might not be otherwise because they are a lot of indie games. So they don't have like as big of a budget for marketing. They don't have the ability on their own to reach that big of a audience. And then we have the YouTubers helping out. And what if a parent or a grown-up has concerns about their younger gamer coming across these games? I think that the best thing that you can do when you are exposed to these games that are not necessarily intended for a younger audience, if you are like the adult in this child's life, the best thing you can do is really just have open communication with the kids because you don't know how one person will handle the content versus another or even what they're getting from the content. Because if you ask like one person, why do you like Poppy Playtime? And another person the same question, you're probably going to get some pretty different answers. And it might be way more innocuous than you think. Like, oh, Huggy Wuggy's cute. I like the plushies and the merchandise. It's totally innocent then. So like just open communication about horror games uh, rather than like, uh, don't look at anything ever because that usually results in more curiosity. But when you're like, okay, let me kind of look into this and we'll talk about it and see if it's something that you can handle even in like a layered experience like I was talking about before, like maybe we can find a YouTuber who goes through this so you can satisfy your curiosity without perhaps being terrified in the process. That's great advice. 
Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on Unspookable and for walking us through Poppy Playtime and for sharing your general gaming expertise. Thank you for having me. I mean, I love gaming, <laughs> truly. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. Special thanks to Melissa Cernowski. You can find Melissa's writing on games and gaming on Screen Rant and Game Skinny. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.